In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Christ is risen and ascended and has sent us the Holy Spirit the Pente- uh, through the Pentecost. This is the seventh Sunday after the Holy Resurrection, after which the Church celebrates the Holy 50 Days, which ends, of course, with today's celebration of the Pentecost. So during the course of the 50 Days, as we've been talking about, we celebrate three of the ascension, uh, three um, feasts, the Ascension, uh, the Resurrection, the, the Ascension, and the Pentecost. Um, and the ascension was just celebrated just 40, uh, a few days ago, about eight days ago, uh, um, 40 days after the resurrection. So today's Acts reading, um, as in all the readings during this time, uh, kind of speaks towards the uh, anticipation of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And today's uh, uh, Acts reading also emphasizes that event. So as Christ says in chapter 7, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So today marks the beginning of the church universal, the beginning of the Holy Spirit being in the hearts of the believers, the birthday of the church. So happy birthday. Uh, as members of the church, you're now about 1,987 years old, uh, but you look just like uh, as young as you first started. So congratulations. Um, there are seven major feasts in, in the church. We have uh, on the church calendar, the Annunciation, Christmas, uh, the Epiphany, Palm Sunday, Resurrection, Ascension, and then the Pentecost. So just within this short time period, we see a lot of the um, the, the major feasts uh, which our Lord performed for our salvation. The Pentecost, the word Pentecost comes from uh, the Greek word pente, which means 50th, which refers to the 50th day after the resurrection. He sends us the Holy Spirit. And we read that the apostles themselves, they practiced and they celebrated the feast of the Pentecost. So it was on their church calendar even from the very beginning. We we read in the uh, book of Acts 18 uh, 22 and also in 1 Corinthians 16:8, we know that the apostles endeavored to uh, participate in the Pentecost as an annual celebration. Um, the Pe- the Pentecost links two very important periods. The first one is Christ's post-resurrection presence with the apostles and the disciples during the 40 days, uh, ending with the ascension, and the early church, which we, of course, know about in the book of Acts, um, which, uh, God willing, we will be studying the book of Acts in our Tuesday Bible study. So start reading up and read the first few chapters of the book of Acts, and hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll dive deep into the book of Acts as we begin the fast, the apostles' fast tomorrow. So Pentecost occurred at the same time as the Harvest Festival on the Jewish calendar. It's called the Shavuot, uh, one of three annual feasts that God commanded the Jews to keep, saying, You shall keep the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field. It's appropriate then that the Pentecost occurs on the Jewish feast. As Christ says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready uh, ready for harvest. God was about to send the church into the world to collect and to harvest those who would receive eternal life. God equipped the church by means uh, which he would gather the people all over the world. Just like the farmer, when he goes out and gathers the wheat, he uses a sickle, right? A sickle is like this kind of sharp-edged uh, tool that uh, the, the, uh, the farmer would take and, and gather all the wheat. So for the apostles, when they went out to the field of the world, the Holy Spirit was their sickle. God himself reaches out to and brings people closer to himself. He loves um, everyone and he tries his best to bring everyone closer to him and his servants who are serving in the church and serving him 
they just simply gather into the barn. It's God who actually does all the work. We just simply gather. Um, so on the Pentecost, we uh, there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. That sound gathered everyone together to that spot, helped many in believing. But even with this, not everyone believed. Even with this visible token that God granted, this sound that everybody heard in the middle of the day, gathered everyone together at this house, but still not everyone believed. As we know, some of them said that everybody, uh, that the apostles were full of new wine. Um, it shows that even with miracles, not everyone, um, you know, believes with miracles, right? And some miracles affect some and some do not affect others. Um, another visible token that was given was the divided tongues of fire that rested not just came and like kind of sparked, but rested on top of the apostles um, and sat upon each one of them. Not like a dove, like what St. John the Baptist saw, but as a, a flaming tongue of fire that rested on top of the apostles. As we discussed during the reading of the Samaritan woman, the Holy Spirit has many symbols, right? Um, uh, the dove, which we read about in the Theophany, which we see here. Um, the Holy Spirit also came in the form of anointing oil or wind or cloud or breath of life and also fire and water. Uh, water because uh, and each and each time that the Holy Spirit appeared in these forms, it kind of showed a, a quality of God, a quality of the Holy Spirit. Water, for example, the cleansing, the gentleness the, of, of it eroding slowly and gently, uh, the nourishment and the refreshment that water gives. And in a symbolic way, uh, describing the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And in this case, fire also has, um, like when he appeared uh, to the Israelites, he appeared as fire on the mountain, right? Uh, here, he, again, he appears as fire. Uh, fire means like it's zeal, zealous, uh, energetic, warming. It has the power to destroy sin, and it, and it has full strength and, and um, ability to kind of purge away any of our weaknesses. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit then appeared as these tongues of fire. Uh, as St. John the Baptist said it would happen, he, that Christ would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The word sat means the setting or the settling of the Holy Spirit, the continuance of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles. Just as was prophesied in Joel 2.28 that we read about in Acts as well. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour forth my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. This measure of receiving the Holy Spirit was new. Uh, the Holy Spirit came in the Old Testament, but this measure that was now being received by the, the apostles and all the other people, including St. Mary and the disciples, uh, it needed these sensible tokens, uh, like the sound and like the fire, because it never happened before, not to this measure. The Spirit on occasion rested on the Old Testament prophets. Um, for example, the prophets had to deal, when they had to deal with one nation, like Moses, right, when he had to deal with the Egyptians. The apostles, though, they appeared to the whole world. They had to deal with the whole world. The prophets would receive it through oil or through maybe a burning bush. The apostles through fire which rested on them. Moses was given a tongue to speak and wrestle with Pharaoh, while the apostles spoke to the whole world and wrestled with Satan and all the powers of the world, they spoke in tongues. Of um, they spoke in tongues, tongues um, speaking the wonderful works of God. We know that they spoke about sixteen languages, such as Greek, Latin, and of course Coptic as well. 
uh, we're reminded that up to the Tower of Babel, as it notes in Genesis chapter 11, that the whole earth had one language. It's really in interesting that the whole world had one language and one utterance. But the Tower of Babel came and God, as it were, confused and confounded the languages among the people. Um, humanity began to trend towards, trend towards opposing God until they decided to build something high to rise against the knowledge of God. God saw that they, what they were doing and confounded and confused their language. So God, of course, was not afraid of them obtaining high things and high knowledge, but that they tried to do so outside of him and even to challenge him. The descendants of Noah felt that they could reach the heights of heaven through their own righteousness or through their own intellect or their own strength or their own pride. They forgot the need that they have to rely solely on God to achieve greatness. And God does grant that greatness, but we have to do so relying on Him, of course. God in His mercy then confounded their, um, their languages and put their evil intent to an end. Uh, that's what the word Babel means. Babel means confusion. So from this point forward, God confused their language and utterance and scattered all of humanity across the whole earth. But just as going away from God leads to confusion, coming back to Him gives understanding and peace. On Pentecost, the apostles spoke with a lot of different languages. And they, again, once again understood the languages of the people, bringing them all together. It, it kind of undid what the Tower of Babel did, uh, which uh, divided people. But the Pentecost unites uh, people again as the apostles began to speak all these languages. Um, they went out into the whole world, but this time not to confuse, but to provide peace, understanding, and not to divide, but to bring everyone together. For Christians, as St. Paul says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God always wants us to be of understanding. He always wants us to grow in, in knowledge of Him, and He never wants there to be any kind of confusion or any kind of challenge in our inward parts as we're struggling, as we all struggle through these kind of challenges. But for those who trust in Christ as their strong and high tower, opposite to what the people in ba uh, the Babel Tower did, um, we, we have Him who ascends up into the highest of heavens, and we follow Him through His incarnation. So we're now able to understand and experience the Almighty, even in manners that are above expression or words, things that are difficult to understand and even more difficult to express in language. St. John Chrysostom says, For many of our conceptions about God we are unable to express, as also many things we express but we have not the strength to conceive of them. Some things we talk about and we really don't understand its depth, and some things we understand the depth, but we struggle to put into words. Example of something that we put into words, but we don't quite understand, that when we talk about the qualities of who God is, right? That God is everywhere. He has no beginning. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent, omnipresent. We, we understand that there's a thing called infinity that's sideways eight. Uh, we use it in our mathematical equations. But does any human being ever fully comprehend what that infinity is? It's beyond our human ability, right? So St. John Chrysostom says when we're approaching to understand who God is, oftentimes we think of something and are not able to express it. Since not even the word God is a name of substance, nor is it at all possible to find the name of that substance. It's difficult to put into the word. 
to human language. The Father has always existed. We're going to get a little technical here. The Father has always existed with His Spirit and with His wisdom, His Son, from eternity. Christ is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father. We are getting a glimpse of who God is when we consider the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However, the Trinity and the love that He shows in revealing Himself to us and redeeming us, even though we're only getting a little glimpse of who God is, the concept of the Trinity is the most comprehensive expression of who God is known to man when we really comprehend and we really study what it is. And, and the love that Christ showed in the flesh and his amazing, uh, this amazing quality of his love, that is what allows us to really understand God, the Trinity and the love that he shows us. One cannot know God in true depth without the Trinity and without really knowing his amazing love and victory in the resurrection. This is what the theme of the book of Acts is. When we start reading the book of Acts, is to know and believe in the Trinity, the reality of the resurrection, through the work of the Holy Spirit among the nations, and also to proclaim God's love for everyone. Which is why during the Apostles' Fast, we read uh, the, uh, the book of Acts, and again, we're going to start reading it during our Tuesday Bible study, God willing, and hopefully you can all attend. In this book, uh, the book of Acts, we see the apostles themselves speeding around the world, right? Speeding their way as, as if on wings around all the world, on land and sea, on horseback, walking. Um, and those same men, right? Once so fearful and without understanding, all of a sudden became quite the opposite of what they were. They were worried, before they were worried about how to feed the multitude and wasting valuable goods. Now they're men hating wealth. And they're raised above glory and passion. Before, they argued about who would be first in the kingdom of God. Now there's complete harmony as we read in the book of Acts. No envying as there was before, nor any of that old desire of preeminence. Even when they disagreed, you know, for example, St. Paul and St. Mark, they disagreed. Even when they disagreed, they never let their life end without uh, reconciling, as one of St. Paul's epistles shows that they reconciled again. Even when disagreements happen, uh, they, their love for each other still exists, and they always have an open door to reconcile. They exhibited all virtue, especially love to one another and those whom they served, right? The apostles first taught by their conduct and then by their words, as St. John Chrysostom says. He says, rather they had no need of words when their deeds spoke so loud. For this is the best type of teaching, which teaches by action. In this, all men shall know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the best type of preaching. So we hear in today's readings that they were together praying in unity and in one accord. They were together in oneness of thought, oneness of mind, praying together in love. And that's when the Holy Spirit appeared to them. It's when... The believers of Christ get together and they're together in love and in harmony. That's when God reveals himself to us. Observe how when one is continuing in prayer, when one is in love, it is then when the Spirit draws near. St. John Chrysostom said that. God deeply desires this as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And he goes on to further emphasize this oneness that he desires among all of us. 
Yet when one loses his or her love for someone else, he or she is often consumed by like an arrogant desire to rule or dominate his brother. Such a one is usually willing to sacrifice everything in order to fulfill that, that lust for power over his brothers, even the most important thing in our life, our faith. They begin to use the faith as a tool to establish dominance. And we've seen this a lot in church history where um, a subtle change happens in uh, some of, uh, for example, a leader or, or someone else. St. Paul in his epistles uh, believed that the root of all heresy the root of all heresy was a wilting of love between the believers and a desire for one of the believers who loses that love to all of a sudden want to rise above other people. Thus, during his discourses against heresies, he often would mingle, mingle in verses about unity and about love as a powerful tool in combating that heresy. Also in Timothy uh, chapter 6, St. Paul again relates the heresy to an arrogant heart that is void of love for others and only use the faith for unholy goals. It's a warning from St. Paul. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds, and destitute of truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from such withdraw yourself. Even the church fathers who fought heresies believed the same thing. Um, about a thousand years ago, uh, Bishop Severus wrote the history of the patriarchs, and in the introduction, I love this quote, I'll share it with you. He says, a, the leader is he who uses his gifts to defend the faith and not his faith to increase in gifts. The leader is he who uses his gifts to defend the faith and not his faith to increase in gifts. It's a subtle thing, right? Uh, to, you know, a Sunday school teacher can go serving with the pure intentions, but without noticing, he starts going there so that he can get attention from the kids or, or that the kids can look up to him. And then all of a sudden, he's using the faith for his own personal benefit. So we always have to be on guard on that. St. John Chrysostom says that the desire to rule is the mother of all heresies. The desire to rule is the mother of all heresies. Therefore, in battling the main heresy of his time, St. Paul often rouses people under his care to love one another, for it is the best defense against the arrogant who are bold enough to abandon humility and use the faith of Christ to fulfill their own personal desires or lust. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, he says bond in order to signify the extent of our unity. It's a bond of peace. In Proverbs, in the Septuagint translation anyways, it says in Proverbs 18, Brother held by brother is a strong city, and a strong city can never be overcome, of course, by their enemies. That, that kind of love, the sacrifice, the unity that the apostles practiced um, after the Pentecost, that kind that was taught and practiced by Christ, of course, first and foremost, must be obtained through toil. There are a thousand reasons and obstacles that threaten the love between us, right? We're constantly uh, swimming uphill to keep the love in our hearts for everyone around us, just as much as there is a thousand faults in a human being, right? On top of that, our enemy loves to sow seeds of discord. He, he, his divide and conquer approach is one of his oldest tricks. 
Because when we're unified, he finds it difficult to have his way. But the first thing he'll do is he'll find people in a body and he'll divide, right? Uh, he sows these seeds of pride, envy, and dispute, and lack of love. Though he may plant, it's up to us not to let these seeds grow, though. Uh, we must endeavor and labor to keep that unity. That unity which we have in each other with all the saints and with all the angels and with Christ that we receive when we partake of the Eucharist. And of course, um, that makes us part of the body of the believers, Christ's body. This is how he unified the people in his body through the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist, uh, which uh, now we confess the same faith. And Christ's body, of course, can never be divided. Speaking more about unity, especially in today's time. Unity seems to be something that's very difficult to find in today's society. The recent uh, social injustice riots and protests that are going on because of uh, the killing of George Floyd has reminded us about the lack of unity that we have in our society today. I was reading a letter by Martin Luther King Jr. that he wrote in 1963 uh, when he was put in Birmingham jail because of his civil rights actions. Uh, in it has a lot of really interesting quotes. He talks about items that you can uh, are still very applicable today right we still uh, find it very applicable today he says that those who cause disunity by attempting to dominate and segregate other people gives a false sense of superiority while those who are segregated a false sense of inferiority again we see people that are still struggling with this today but and both of them are struggling those who are struggling with the false sense of superiority are the same as those who are suffering from a false sense of inferiority. Both of them are are being threatened in their uh, in their humanity. Their humanity is being at risk because of this. Uh, but we find healing though through the Holy Spirit, as the Pentecost teaches, if we allow it, as the apostles did. In Christ, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we never feel superior to others, and we definitely never feel inferior to others. Being in Christ is all that matters, and he is the cause of our boasting, not our flesh, not because we're white or black or Egyptian. Many of us are proud of being Egyptian. All that doesn't matter. We're putting pride in our flesh if, if we're doing that, and our flesh will always fail us. But if we put our confidence and boasting in Christ, we will never fail. So we should strive to be like the apostles, reconcile between those who are in dispute, Pray for the unity of the members of the church, our diocese, and in our patriarchate. Pray for the unity of all Christians throughout the world within the firm and sound Orthodox faith. And pray, of course, for unity in the United States of America and the whole world uh, as we struggle through these difficult times. Because only the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus our Lord, by the will of God the Father, can bring this unity to all of us, to whom be glory forever. Amen.